This is a podcast from Queen's University Belfast, shaping a better world since 1845. Pandemic, of or pertaining to a disease prevalent over a whole country or the world. In this series of podcasts, historians at Queen's University Belfast look back on some famous pandemics. Part 1. Civilizations Under Attack Senior lecturer John Curran is a historian of the ancient Mediterranean world of the Greeks and the Romans. History is a two-way street. As we historians look back to the past, the past is sending us messages for our own time. Right now, the world is in the grip of a frightening disease that's sweeping the globe, changing the way we live, and death is carrying away many of the people we love. But we aren't the first people to have faced these terrible circumstances. I've been thinking about some famous cases of disease in the world of what's called classical antiquity. I want to understand how ancient people were affected and to see if we have anything to learn from their experiences. Pandemics aren't new. Over 10,000 years ago, human beings took the decision to stop hunter-gathering and to live in permanent settlements. Settlements that would, over the course of time, become villages, towns and cities. But as human behaviour changed, so did the behaviour of some of the environmental threats to humankind. Perhaps the most terrifying of them being disease. Let's begin with the curious and frightening language that's all around us. An ancient Greek woman, listening to our nightly TV news, would understand virtually none of what was being said, but some words she would immediately recognise. Pan, for example, meaning all, and demos, meaning people. Something is endangering all of us. A pandemic is here. She might be able to identify some of the speakers on TV as people with logos, or knowledge of the thing that's happening to the people the demos. These are the epidemiologists on whom we're all now depending. They're studying the spread of a virus, the Latin word for poison, and our lives are now in the hands of our doctors. In Latin, those who are docti, learned in the art of healing. The use of this language is a reminder that the international technical vocabulary of medicine is to a large extent still ancient Greek and Latin. And this is no accident. The Greeks and Romans had among them profoundly observant and deep-thinking people, and our debt to them is huge, across a range of fields of knowledge from mathematics to medicine. But their civilizations flourished in a world filled with danger. Few people survived beyond the age of 40. Almost a third of children died before they were a year old. Half never made it to adulthood. So a nasty cut or a broken leg could be a death sentence. But large-scale disease held a particular horror. Perhaps the most famous pandemic in the ancient world was that which struck Athens in the 5th century BC. In 431 BC, a great war broke out between Athens and its rival Sparta. The two states were very different in character. The Athenians were progressive, adventurous and highly cultured. The Spartans were more insular secluded and warlike. In the summer of 430, the Spartans invaded the territory of Athens with the intention of destroying the countryside and the food supply of the city. 
The Athenians, who couldn't hope to match the Spartans militarily, withdrew the rural population into their city, which was protected by great fortifying walls. But in the cramped conditions, with citizens crowded together in the narrow streets, a terrible disease appeared and began to spread among the citizens. We're fortunate to have the testimony of a famous eyewitness, the great Athenian historian Thucydides, who wrote a history of the war and was present in the city in 430. His account of the devastating impact of the disease gives us a remarkably vivid and an eerily familiar account of its impact upon the community. Thucydides tells us that the disease, just like COVID-19, came from far away, from Ethiopia, and from there it spread to Egypt and Libya and North Africa, and eventually it entered Athens via its port at Piraeus, the Heathrow airport of the ancient city. We should imagine that most of the inhabitants of Athens lived in conditions that were similar to those of the favelas of Rio or the slums of Mumbai today. Families living in simple one- or two-roomed homes crammed together along narrow streets with poor sanitation. And the inhabitants of the countryside, remember, who'd come into the city were living in rickety temporary huts. What we know as social distancing was out of the question, and infection spread rapidly. Here's Thucydides' description of the progress of the disease. From no obvious cause, but suddenly, and while in good health, men were seized first with intense heat of the head, and redness and inflammation of the eyes. And the parts inside the mouth, both the throat and the tongue, immediately became blood-red and exhaled an unnatural and fetid breath. In the next stage, sneezing and hoarseness came on, and in a short time the disorder descended to the chest, attended by severe coughing. And when it settled in the stomach, that was upset, and vomits of bile of every kind named by physicians ensued, these also attended by great distress, and in most cases ineffectual retching followed, producing violent convulsions, which sometimes abated directly, sometimes not until long afterwards. Externally, the body was not so very warm to the touch, it was not pale, but reddish, livid, and breaking out in small blisters and ulcers. But internally, it was consumed by such a heat that the patients could not bear to have on them the lightest coverings or linen sheets, but wanted to be quite uncovered, and would have liked best to throw themselves into cold water. Indeed, many of those who were not looked after did throw themselves into cisterns, so tormented were they by thirst which could not be quenched and it was all the same whether they drank much or little. Doctors on the front line were exposed to enormous danger. Medical science of the time thought that human beings were made up of a number of elements, fire, earth, air and water. They were known as humours, and each were present in the different fluids of the body. Good health was enjoyed when these elements were in perfect balance, while illness occurred when the balance was upset. So the good physician sought to restore this vital balance by administering drugs or sometimes by draining off blood. But this disease in Athens struck so many people at one time with the same symptoms that the doctors of the city struggled to understand what was going on. And for all their courage as carers, they paid a high price. Thucydides writes, Neither were the physicians able to cope with the disease since they first had to treat it without knowing its nature, the mortality among them was greatest because they were the most exposed to it. 
nor did any other art avail. People saw the danger that came with touching, or being close to others, and from fear many of them stopped visiting their loved ones. As Thucydides puts it, For when people were afraid to visit the sick, then they died with no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabitants perished through lack of any attention. When, on the other hand, they did visit the sick, they lost their own lives, and this was particularly true of those who made it a point of honour to act properly. Thucydides records how the disease carried off victims who were young and old, those who were clearly in good health as well as the sick. The streets became choked with bodies. There were too many corpses to give the dead decent family funerals, so pyres were lit instead to cremate the deceased as soon as possible. Meanwhile, the Spartans, camped in the countryside, could see plumes of smoke rising from all parts of Athens, and knowing that something terrible and dangerous was happening in the city, they kept their distance. But the threat of imminent death began to have a psychological effect on the population too. All appeals to the gods were in vain. Faced with the prospect of dying, people began to ask themselves, why not enjoy ourselves while we can? Thucydides again. So they resolved to get out of life the pleasures which could be had speedily, and would satisfy their lusts, regarding their bodies and their wealth alike as transitory. And no one was eager to practice self-denial in prospect of what was esteemed honour, because everyone thought that it was doubtful whether he would live to attain it. But the pleasure of the moment, and whatever was in any way conducive to it, came to be regarded as at once honourable and expedient. No fear of gods or law of men restrained, for, on the one hand, seeing that all men were perishing alike, they judged that piety and impiety came to the same thing, and on the other, no one expected that he would live to be called to account and pay the penalty of his misdeeds. And many of those who survived, says Thucydides, developed a curious delusion. They thought that they were invincible and would never suffer illness again. By the spring of 429 BC, when the pandemic began to subside, between 75 and 100,000 people, perhaps one quarter of the whole population had died, among them the great Pericles, the leader of the city. This plague of Athens dealt a fatal blow to the ambitions of Athens to be the dominant power in Greece. With their manpower and morale diminished, the Athenians would go on to lose the war with Sparta, and fall into decline as a great civilization. Now it's impossible to know for sure what the disease was, but given the symptoms reported by our eyewitness Thucydides, some 30 different pathogens are suspects. Experts have narrowed the possibilities down to bubonic plague, smallpox, or perhaps even the Ebola virus. When it comes to the history of Rome, we know that there were periodic outbreaks of disease, but they seem for the most part to have been quite localised. In AD 166, however, something altogether more terrifying arrived. It's known as the Antonine Plague, and as with the Plague of Athens, it came from far away. In this case, as with coronavirus too, it came from China, travelling along the Silk Road until it reached Persia. As it happens, Rome's armies were fighting against the Persians when the legionaries quickly became infected. The disease travelled rapidly from east to west, 
making its way as far as Spain and Germany, the furthest frontiers of the Roman Empire. The death rate was horrifying. Rome by this stage was a much larger city than Athens had ever been, and was home to over a million inhabitants, many of them living in crowded apartment blocks. According to one ancient observer, 2,000 people in the city died in a single day. We don't have the kind of detail that Thucydides provided for Athens, but we do have surviving some brief observations made by the greatest doctor of the age, the physician Galen, who was working at that time at the court of the emperors. He identified some important symptoms. These included fever, vomiting, coughing, and a telltale rash all over the body. Those who succumbed took around two weeks to die, but many survived and enjoyed immunity after their recovery. This disease was almost certainly smallpox. And as with the plague of Athens, it claimed its victims without discrimination. Even the Emperor Lucius Verus succumbed to it in January AD 169. And just as with Athens, and with us today, there were enormous social and economic consequences. Because there were so many victims, perhaps 20 million people, one third of the population of the Roman Empire, tax income fell. Important industries like quarrying and building collapsed. With the empire's farmers decimated, a shortage of foodstuffs followed, and inflation paralysed commerce. The disease spiked in the 160s, but reappeared again several times well into the 3rd century. And all this time, the enemies of Rome, barbarian tribes in the north, were watching. When the time was right, and the epidemic had died down, they began to launch attacks on a weakened empire. Attacks that heralded the last age of Rome's power and the beginning of its long decline. A decline initiated by deadly smallpox. So the ancients were well acquainted with disease, sometimes disease on a vast scale. But this danger prompted in them something that tells us about the human spirit and that speaks to us today. In the 3rd century BC, a new philosophical school developed among the Greeks. And it had a message for those who could see that the world around them was filled with danger and unpredictability. These philosophers were called the Stoics. Their message was that uncertainty should be faced with courage and acceptance. Perhaps their most famous follower was the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, who as it happened had lived through the Antonine Plague. He was a lifelong admirer of Stoic philosophy. Towards the end of his life, he wrote a book called The Meditations, and in it he offered some advice about facing danger and misfortune. He wrote, Nothing happens to any man which he is not formed by nature to bear. So the message to us from the ancient world is this, to trust in our resilience and the power of our love for each other. We are actually designed to endure suffering and grief. Our task is to appreciate the greatest gift of life itself, the time we have together. Stay safe. Pandemic, the podcast series from Queen's University Belfast. Please rate and review and share this podcast.